Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drbarrypierre.com, as well as the CEO of Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, education, and promotion. This week, we are talking about intermittent fasting with an amazing guest, Dr. Cecilia Clark-Ganhart, who is a board-certified in maternal fetal medicine, OBC medicine specialist, and she's going to talk to us about how to incorporate intermittent fasting in your nutritional lifestyle change. Guys, remember, the theme for the past few episodes has been about nutrition and making that nutritional transition in your life, right, to live a longer, healthier life, because that's always the goal, right? And I wanted her to come on this podcast because I have a lot of guests who have been inquiring about intermittent fasting, some of the pros, some of the cons, some of the benefits associated with it. So I said, you know, instead of me just kind of telling you what I know from an internist standpoint, let me tell it from someone who's actually in the trenches physically, actively doing it as we speak and having so much success to the point where she's lost over 50 pounds incorporating the lifestyle of intermittent fasting, low carbs, and guys, she fasts for 18 hours a day, right? So again, first of all, full disclaimer, you do not start going all the way to 18 hours fasting, right? You have to work to get there. And we're going to talk about that mental process and that mental transition of working up to get to the point where you can actually fast for 18 hours a day, lose 50 pounds, still incorporating a great diet. I think this is going to be another one that I think is going to be really highly requested because of the amount of gems that gets dropped during this episode. You guys are definitely in for a treat. Of course, like always, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, especially if this is your first time listening. Again, appreciate you listening to the show today. But if this is your first time listening, subscribe to the podcast, leave a star, five-star review, right? Four stars is okay, but five-star review, letting us know how we did about today's episode and our discussion on intermittent fasting. Again, you guys have a great and blessed day. One of the sponsors for the Lunch and Learn Community Podcast is the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where you can find t-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, stickers, and wristbands with the motto, Empower Yourself for Better Health. Remember, 50% of all proceeds will go to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation, where we give out college scholarships to deserving high school seniors across the country. Thus far, we have given out over 20 deserving scholarships to students across the country. So again, 50% of the proceeds will be uh, blessed to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation. And today you can get the coupon code LUNCH20. You can get 20% off your purchase and you support these high school students across the country. Again, the Lunch and Learn Community Store is at shop.drbarrypierre.com and the coupon code is lunch20. All right, Lunch and Learn community, just heard another amazing introduction from a guest who I'm actually very interested to talk to, especially for a subject as when we talk about nutrition that we've been doing for the past couple of weeks. I get a lot of questions about fasting and you know, is it safe? And, you know, what can I do? And what can I do to, you know, better my chances? So I say, you know, what, let me get someone who like, no, this is what they do. This is the, this is the expert. This is their field per se, right? Let me, let me have them kind of answer it and see if we can kind of get there. So again, I'd like to say thank you for joining the podcast and getting ready to enlighten us because I know you're about to do it. I, again, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Like I said, you've been highly recommended. I, I just want to say I, I've had a few people who are like, no, 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 you got, you got to get the passing doctor on the show. Like that's it. That's what they kept telling me. Like, no, I'm happy. I'm excited to be here. And I love talking all things intermittent fasting and just how it pertains to health. I think it's a tool that people don't really think about and it's highly underutilized and it can make such big difference in health. I love it. So we, we, we did a little bit introduction of your on, on your bio. I do have listeners who like to skip passing, right? Get right into the meat and potatoes. For someone who may have read the bio, they but they are like, you know, oh, that's that's great and all. Like what what is something that may not be necessary in your bio, but you want kind of people to know about you and your, your journey? So what's probably not in my bio, so my bio does talk about and I won't rehash it, talks about my own health journey and, and things of that nature. How I got into intermittent fasting, it was basically the only thing that I hadn't tried before. 
in order to lose weight and then also combine that with a lower carb approach. And so for me, I found it worked very well. It was the first time that I had long sustaining weight loss without feeling like I was on some strict regimented program where I had to count calories or, you know, worry about stuff like that. And so for me, I think just in general, there's a lot of misconceptions about intermittent fasting, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those later. But it really is easier than I think what a lot of people make it seem. Like it, it really isn't that complicated. Other things that I encourage people to do and that I've gotten into myself that's not in my bio, I think you also have to pay attention to the role of gut health. Just overall in our physical health, the gut microbiome, some people say, you know, our GI tract is like our second brain. There's so many different disease processes and signals and changes that all start in the GI system. So I think doing other like healthy eating habits to support a good microbiome is also important. So like for myself, what are some examples? So I like to do fermentation and I like gardening and I ferment my own stuff at home. One, it's cheaper. Two, it's better than taking a probiotic because the probiotic mm -hmm. can't compare to what you're getting in a natural ferment. So that's what people used to eat all the time. And it's really easy. And I, I encourage people, like once you start refining your nutrition, I encourage you to look at some other more quote unquote ancestral ways of eating and just kind of see what people did before industrialization because all of the diseases that we are treating now in the medical system really are modern diseases. They're diseases of industrialization. So Ooh, I, I love it. You know, we, we used to die of different things before industrialization. Now we're dying from a whole host of different things that have just been created by us thinking that we were outsmarting nature. So. Well, well especially because it's so interesting because first of all, I want to me, I need you to follow her Instagram because she actually like will show you the fermentation process. So this isn't something that she's just talking like she like shows you kind of step by step like, oh, see, this is what I did. Now, of course, when you first look at it, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. But when, when you just kind of listen and understand the process, you're like, oh, okay. Because I think that's what always gets people anytime they have to make any type of change transition, right? Just that newness of it is very difficult for people. So and when we talk about just fasting and even the, like the, the fermentation and all that, when, when you hear those words, they're like, what, what does that mean? You mean I can't eat? Like, that's always a big thing, right? Like, I can't eat. So, so for a person who says, you know what, maybe I'm thinking about intermittent fasting, but what is it? Like, what would, what would you say to that person? So the easiest way to describe intermittent fasting is just it's a period of gut rest. It's a period where you are not intaking any food. You can drink water, but nothing with a caloric content that just allows your system to kind of reset. That's how I like to describe it. Now, there's several different things going on when we say you're resetting your system, but it really is just simply you're just not eating for a period of time. And you pick the period of the time. That's the beautiful thing. Like you decide how long you want to go for without eating. And that's why it's different than starvation. Because when you're starving, you don't get to choose when you eat again. You're praying that food comes around so you can eat it. With intermittent fasting, you can eat whenever you want. You're just making a conscious decision that, you know what, for 12 hours, for 16 hours, for 18 hours, whatever you set your schedule to, I'm going to allow my body to actually have time to repair itself, to lower my insulin levels, to do some other beneficial things that my body's not able to do if I'm constantly eating every two to three hours all around the clock. And what's interesting, especially when, when, when people hear about the intermittent fasting, right? The, the time is always like one of their biggest markers, right? It's usually how long I got to do it and what can I eat like when I'm not like or drinking that not in that process. Do you have any, you know, uh, especially when we talk about the different types of intermittent fasting, is there any pros and cons one way or the other? Like in terms of like if someone's a beginner, someone's kind of a late stage, like what, what would you kind of, especially in the beginning stages for sure? Yeah, so I think if you're just starting off, probably the easiest to do, especially if you are used to a lot of nighttime eating. And again, if you're a constant grazer, honestly, starting off with just like a sunset to sunrise fast might be the easiest place for you to begin. Because I think it's intimidating for some people to hear that, oh my gosh, I have to go 
18 hours without eating. One big thing to count in mind or keep in mind is that sleep counts as fasting. So mm, okay. sleep, <laughs> use that time to not eat. So that's, I'm not saying that you're going like 18 hours starting at like 8 a.m. Do you know what I mean? All while you're working and things. If you stop eating by 7 p.m. and during the summer hours, right, in early fall, it's still going to be light outside. So that counts as eating, getting your last meal and before dark. So if you just did 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., that's 12 hours. And you'd be surprised how many of us don't even go 12 hours without eating. Like that seems that that should be natural. But if you are eating at 9, 10, 11 at night, or say you ate at 8 p.m., but before you go to sleep, you have to drink, you know, name some sugary beverage, that's not fasting. You know, it's it's your drinks too, if they're calories in it or artificial sweeteners, all of that is not counted as fasting. So for a lot of people, if they can just begin with not eating after dark and waiting like even an hour or two after waking up in the morning before eating something, especially if you're changing your nutrition, you're going to see benefits. And so then after that, if you start with that as your foundation, then you just basically start extending after that. So if you ate at 7 p.m. the night before, instead of eating at 7 a.m. the next day, you push that back a few hours. That's how you're going to get your 16-hour fasting, right? And then keep going from there that you can get up to your 18 hours. There's all sorts of different terms. There's one meal a day. There's, you know, people hear about the 5-2 diet, which is just a play on intermittent fasting. Uh, there's several different things that you can do. But I would say rather than getting caught up in like which method you're doing, just start with 12 hours. And then as you notice, you're not hungry. The next thing I tell people, if you're not hungry, don't eat. So don't eat at 7 a.m. just because it's been 12 because, hours. Yeah, because right, we're like, it's like they're clock watching. And in the second, exactly. 7.01, all right, now I can eat. Exactly. But then I would ask you before you do that, are you hungry? Because if you're not hungry, why are you eating? <laughs> And that's the whole thing, right? We're like, you got to have breakfast, lunch, dinner, two snacks, and I got to eat on the clock. Oh, it's time to eat. Whoever told us in nature it was, you know, this position of the sun, it's time to eat. You ate when you were hungry. So I think by starting just with that concept and getting to know true hunger cues, that that's going to help you just become a natural intermittent faster. And what I love that you talked about is because I think a lot of times people, you know, will say, well, I didn't eat anything, but then they'll kind of neglect the fact that, you know, I was drinking sodas, I was drinking juice, I was maybe I had a nibble here and there. And we may we don't really realize like how much we're actually eating and drinking after seven before seven. So I, I think sometimes is having that eye opening experience like, wow, I'm really like I'm really eating a lot. Like after, you know, the times where I probably sh really shouldn't need to eat it is because I know a lot of my patients, that was always like their big, like, oh, I got to have something before bed. I got to have a snack. I got to have something. It's always something that they, quote unquote, had to have that would tend to get them in trouble. So I, I love that aspect of just kind of starting, you know, when the sun goes down, when the sun goes up, just kind of see. That way they're not clock watching per se. Because again, like I said, that tends to happen, right? You know, the second they realize 701 hits, all of a sudden they're running for a meal and right. not asking themselves that question. Like, was I actually hungry or was I eating because I'm quote unquote allowed to eat? Right, exactly. And so that's the thing. I mean, it's about getting used to your true hunger cues. The other problem is because of a lot of the sugary, refined, processed carbohydrates, our hunger cues are truly off. And so I do this with my kids a lot too. They'll run up and they're like, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, here, I have like the fish that we made and broccoli. There you go. Oh, I don't want that. All right, I guess you're not hungry. Because if you're hungry, you're going to eat what is in front of you, right? Like, I know when I'm hungry, like, yeah, maybe I would have preferred a filet mignon for dinner. But you know what? That cabbage right there looks good, too. And that's what we have. So I'm going to eat that. You know, it's like you'll eat when you're hungry. And so I think if you can get up or if you or if you're picking at something, you're like, uh, blah, blah, blah. Or if uh, the phone rings and now you're distracted for 45 minutes and now you're no longer hungry, you realize that that wasn't a true hunger cue either. And so 
what I notice a lot for myself and people that I work with is that when they start intermittent fasting, the thing they say is, you know, I thought I would be starving at the end of my window and I'm actually not. And so that's when we start having that conversation. Well, do you want to go longer? Because if you're not hungry, you don't have to break just because it's the time. I'm giving you a time just because a lot of people do better with goals up front, something very finite. But it's people realizing that once your insulin levels are coming down, once some of these other factors that mediate hunger, um, like ghrelin, you know, are decreasing and et cetera, you don't have that urge to constantly snack either. And a lot of people are surprised by that. It was interesting because you, you kind of talked about hunger cues and just the does the does the fasting help modify them or does it, you know, are we able to kind of bring it to light to say, well, see, like, were you actually really hungry or is because you're fasting now that you're hungry? Like, how, how would you say that the hunger cues are affected? And, and maybe for we'll even go back a little bit further for our lunch community may not know, like, what are hunger cues and like what what are some of the things that you, you've seen? Uh, especially with the clients that you work with and even, uh, you know, self that's kind of like, uh, you know, affected in one way or the other. Yeah. So I think the hunger cues, so we have, like when we go back and we're talking about the gut, there's a lot of signals and different hormones that originate the gut that then provide feedback back to the brain to mediate hunger or not. I think of the famous experiment, right, with the dog and the bell, where it's like every time you were going to feed the dog, you ring the bell. And so then all of a sudden, all the same physiologic processes would start happening if you rang the bell, but didn't give them food. And that is an example of how our hunger cues can get intertwined with things that are external kind of, you know, cues that aren't necessarily your body truly saying, I need to eat right now for nourishment. So like, like quote unquote lunchtime, like quote unquote, exactly. Like, like mm. it's it's just time. Or think about other things like stress. Stress eating is a big thing. You're not necessarily hungry when you're stressed, but you may eat when you're stressed because it either gives you relief, it either pacifies you. I mean, with sugary food, again, stress eating, usually you're not stress eating out on broccoli, right? You're doing it on high. I mean, probably not. If you are, hey, you're better than me. That's not what I stressed eat out on. Um, so if you are, you're stress eating on things that are typically poor quality nutrient foods that have a high glycemic index that are very sugary and sugar triggers a reward response in the brain. So this may be getting a little too geeky, but I mean, there's a chemical called dopamine, right? And so if that is stimulated, that it's, it makes us feel good. We feel better. So sugar can do that. But then, you know, that feeling goes away and I'm stressed again. Okay, well, now I feel better that I had that piece of cake. Okay, but I'm still stressed. I feel better that I had that extra, you know, and so it, it can become a vicious cycle like that. So there's so many other external stimuli that we are either getting rewarded from or mistaken as hunger. And unfortunately, they tend to be the foods that are not the best for us. Then if we're talking about internally, some of the things that intermittent fasting can help do over time, we already talked about insulin. And that's also the same premise behind lower carbohydrate way of living or keto in general. If you're not having to stimulate your insulin as often, you're going to have lower levels of that in the body. Insulin in itself is signals storage. So you can have a hard time getting rid of fat or different things like that if your insulin levels are chronically high. So with intermittent fasting, if you're not eating, those levels are coming down. In turn, those work with other hormones in your body that when they're high, they tend to produce hunger or produce cues to eat. So kind of by lowering those because you're not eating as frequently, that's why we think anyway, people are not having that constant feeling of hunger because people will tell you the longer they fast, the longer they practice intermittent fasting consistently. Also, if they are improving their nutrition, I still think nutrition is, is important as well in all of this. Over time, they're less hungry. 
and th- and that's kind of just uniform around around the board. Hey, that's very interesting because I, I just recently myself, you know, went to a low carb keto lifestyle type, and you hit it right on the head because like I really thought like I would be because I wasn't eating the because I'm Haitian, so we ate a lot of rice, bread, and everything else because I don't eat that no more. Like, I really thought I'd be starving, but like, that's, that's really not the case, which is like still surprising to me. I'm like, wow, I guess I'm not as hungry as I, uh, as I thought because I would, I would remember the opposite where I'd feel like, oh, I didn't have a meal, like, or my meal wasn't quote unquote complete if it didn't have rice, if it didn't, especially rice. I was Haitian, so it was all about rice. Uh, so, so it was, I always felt like, oh, this meal not even like, I'm not even quote unquote full yet. And, and the fact that I've like essentially taken that away and like that feeling is an air no more is definitely a very interesting uh, point as well. Because there's always going to be detractors, right? Regardless of whatever lifestyle change you have. And I'm pretty sure you've heard every reason in the book at hand, right? But I always get people when, when we talk about any type of change, they say, well, what's the, is, is there any evidence behind it, right? They always want to, they don't really read the evidence, but they always want to know if there's some type of evidence associated with fasting. Because when I want to talk about your personal journey, but just in general, just so we can kind of get that out the way. Yeah. So, well, in terms of the evidence, so there is a lot of evidence for intermittent fasting. And so when we say intermittent fasting, again, the research has looked at different fasting protocols. So for instance, you have animal models, which sometimes people are like, oh, that's in rats and I'm not a rat. And I get that you're not a rat, but I mean, also, you don't necessarily want to start testing out something on like six week old infants either, right? So you got to start in the lab somewhere. I mean, it's, it's for human safety, but in looking at the animal models, when they, several studies have shown when you do kind of like the ad lib diet, basically meaning kind of how most of us prior to intermittent fasting, kind of function at lib, meaning you eat whenever you want, what you want, as much as you want until for some reason you decide to stop. So mice will do the same thing. So if they have chronic, you know, access to food, they've looked at their metabolic changes versus when they intentionally restrict the periods of time that the mice can eat. And so that's where they first started seeing some of these improvements in like neurologic function in terms of rats that were showing maybe some signs of like Parkinson's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases weren't showing it as much as the rats who ate all the time around the clock. Looking at different inflammation markers that are associated with a condition called metabolic uh, syndrome, which basically several different conditions, they were showing that those inflammation markers went down, that they were having less visceral fat, which is basically fat around your abdomen, central obesity is what we also call it. Those studies have shown that there are at a cellular level there is something going on with the intermittent fasting. That's where some of this research in a a term or concept called autophagy has come into play, which is basically a self-healing mechanism that the body uses to remove damaged proteins. Well, the body can only do that when it's not overloaded. But if we're eating all the time, the body is spending all its time in the fed state processing. So you're not able to get those levels. So that's where they think some of the the therapeutic benefits of fasting come in. And, you know, while this is not, I guess, science, if we just look at human culture throughout the ages, every major religion has fasting as a part of their diet. So it was, you know, if you're looking at not, you know, I'm not going to promote, tell people one religion versus the other, but I'm just saying, if you look at religion in itself, a commonality is fasting and prayer. You know, if you were ill, you needed to fast for a while, you know, there's, and so they, it, we're now starting to see some of that at a molecular level, why that doctrine actually does make sense, you know, to have a period of time. And you'll see people quoted through history, Benjamin Franklin, one of the best medicines are rest and fasting. You know, I mean, people mm-hmm. have said this all, all the time. So right. yeah, this is not anything new. It's just, we forgot, you know, because we were more sophisticated now. So whatever. And, and we um, have access to a lot of food. And we have access to a lot of food. So then to take it out of using that as a bridge 
to get into, you have human studies as well. One of my favorite ones, and I'll send you the link for it, talks about intermittent fasting and normal weight people. And so even though, you know, the clientele I work with, my patients are going to be overweight or obese. I like this study because there's this concept that once you hit goal weight or normal weight, whatever that is for you, now you stop fasting. Because if you fast at a normal weight, now all of a sudden you have an eating disorder. But if you're heavy, it's okay. Cause we know you got to, you know, you got to get rid of that fat. You got to get rid of that fat. But like, once your BMI hits normal, why are you fasting? So this study was actually done in people of normal weight or who were just slightly overweight. And they did a variation on alternate day fasting. And they saw improved metabolic markers still because just because you look a certain way doesn't mean that your metabolism and your inflammation markers and all of that are where they should be. It's just don't manifest it how I might manifest it. So for me, if I go back to eating very high sugary foods, I could put on 30 pounds easily. Like that would not be difficult for me to do. Other people just, they don't gain weight, but they still could drop dead from a heart attack. And you're like, why? What happened? Because it doesn't mean that you're metabolically healthy just because you look skinny. And so that's always so funny because I think a lot of times people are like almost like perplexed when they see quote unquote on the outside looks fit, looks skinny, but has all of these other hypertension, diabetes, all these other medical. And I'm like, what? Because they do for some reason attribute that to the obesity aspect. Like, oh, that's why you have that. But like when a person isn't obese, like I can't for some reason, I can't explain why. Exactly. And so. That showed improvement in health markers for that. If we're looking at diabetes, granted, it's only a study of three people, but they t- the reason the case series is impressive is because they took people who had long-standing type 2 diabetes. So they were on insulin for years. And traditionally, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, once I get diabetes, once I go on insulin, like that's it. It's just a matter of years before the amputation hits or before the whatever hits or before <laughs> like it's coming. It's, you know, oh, that is so, oh, that's so funny because I don't know how many times I've heard that. That is. Yeah, it's just like people are like, oh, well, I, all right, I got to take this insulin now. And I'm like, I mean... You might have to take it for a little bit, but come on, let's look at, let's look at your nutrition. So they did combine a low carbohydrate approach, though they weren't keto per se, but they reduced, you know, their sugary intake. And then they did varying fasting periods. And it was like, I think within nine months or something like that, can't remember the exact time frame. Most of these people were off insulin and they were on high doses. Some were on like over a hundred units a day. And they were able to come off insulin using a combination of a lower carb approach and intermittent fasting, which then goes to challenge that dogma that once you have, and I'm talking about type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes is a different you know, thing that's a whole different mechanism. But if we think of type 2 diabetes as more of a kind of a lifestyle you know, disease, they were able to show through changes in lifestyle that you were able to reverse that. And so, and then there are several other studies that go over again, like the autophagy and its applications and potentially cancer therapy and protecting against some of the adverse effects of chemotherapy. So there's a lot of work in this area. And so I think to for people who are referring to it just as a fad, one, you haven't looked into it because it, it's not. There's actually there's there's evidence behind it what kind of led you on this journey right where you realize like you know what intermittent fasting is for me right or it you know that's a way i want to go and and let, let's talk a little bit about your regimen right because when i, I had i had dr lisa folded on here and she, she she's big on like the meal prep uh, and I, when i Ask her, right? One of the issues I think what happens with meal prep, right, is people, you know, they Google and they see these images, right? Or they Google and they read stuff and they're like, oh, I can't do that, right? And that, that's always the big thing. Like, oh, I, I can't make my foods look like that, right? Like, oh, I can't stop eating for 12 hours, right? What, what, what was some of the, you know, the, the, the events that kind of led you on that path? And then like, what's your day to day now, like with, with mm-hmm. the process? So what led me down that path was I, 
So when I had my second son in uh, 2014, at the time of delivery, I was around like 260, 264 pounds when I had him. And so I was like, okay, I'd been diagnosed with metabolic syndrome too, like after all of that. And so I was like, all right, well, I need to do something differently or like, I'm okay, I'm pre-diabetic. So we already know where this goes, right? Mm -hmm. Diabetes progressive. Insulin, amputation. Insulin, uh, amputation. (laughs) So I was like, okay, that's where I'm going. So I need to, like, I'm only pre-diabetic right now, so I can, I can get a hold on it. So that's kind of what led me realizing I needed to make a lifestyle change. The problem was after that, I just kind of did more of the same thing because I, I really hadn't heard of intermittent fasting yet at that point. So, I mean, I did lose weight. I started like your traditional calorie counting, working out, running, all of these things. And so gradually I was able to get down to just around 200 pounds and then the weight just started coming back. And so I was like, what, you know, I was doing, you know, everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing and then I'm gaining weight again. And then I was like, well, if I'm just gaining weight, then why am I even doing mm-hmm. any of this? So then yeah, yeah, that cycle that... Cycles and then I gained more weight. So... Around that time in 2017, though, I was like, okay, really, though, I need to like figure this out. And on a chat board, actually, is where I heard about a book called Obesity Code. And that's by Dr. Jason Fung. So I picked that up and read it. And it actually made sense as to what he was talking about. And so I said, okay, well, I'm just going to give that a try. And in, in his book, it's not his focus really, he talks about nutrition a little bit. That's not the main focus. It's to get you to understand the mechanisms of intermittent fasting. So I started with that, but then subsequently read a book called Deep Nutrition by Dr. Kate Shanahan that discusses more ancestral ways of eating. And so, and a more ancestral approach is going to be lower in refined carbohydrates. So, so that it kind of all still, you know, goes together. And so that's kind of what led me to it. And then I was seeing results. For me, my typical regimen is closer to like an 18 hour fast each day, but sometimes I go longer, sometimes I go shorter. But that's typically what my period looks like. And then during my eating window though, I also don't snack or keep snacking to a minimum. So can I say I never have a snack? No, I can't say that. But I certainly make a conscious effort then if that day is going to include eating lunch and dinner to really mainly just eat a good lunch and a good dinner and not snack in between that. Because what we're thinking is if we're thinking that insulin has a role in obesity and obviously there are other hormones, nothing's like that simple where it's X plus Y, you know. We're like, oh, just take the drop the insulin yeah. and the weight, the weight will just... Exactly. So, I mean, I, I definitely admit that it, we're probably oversimplifying some of the explanation, but at the end of the day, this is the premise of it. Every time you eat, you spike insulin. So insulin in itself the insulin you make in your body is not a bad thing. It's just when you have it in excess, right? Because we need insulin to live. If not, that's where you start getting type 1 diabetes, right? So, I mean, you do need it. But the problem is when you're needing it in increasing amounts, increasing amounts, and if you keep stimulating it all the time with frequent snacking without doing gut rest, this leads to just higher baseline levels of insulin even when you're not eating. And so insulin signals storage, so signals fat storage, but it also can um, play into other signaling for inflammation and then your high blood pressure or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which we, you know, think of that as a disease of androgen excess, meaning too many like male steroid type hormones, which yes, but also insulin excesses at a key in that as well. So there's so many other things that insulin influences where it works in perfect harmony when your insulin levels are regulated and normal. But in excess, anything can be bad. Why I still try not to snack during my eating window per se, because I don't just want to keep 
Right, that kind of bobbing up and down. down. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Are there any issues like during your period as far as foods you try to stay away from? Like during that period as well, too? Or is it because it's my period now I can go and I can go in on blank, but obviously. No, agree. I still try to stay away from refined carbohydrates during my eating window. So things that I'm going to eat are going to eat are pretty much stuff that either grew from somewhere, you know, or it's an animal or something like that. I'm I really try to stay away from packaged food. And so and also I think a big misconception is that, you know, diet pop is fine. No, those artificial sweeteners we see can stimulate worse than what just regular sugar sugar would do. Um, so it's not then saying, well, I'm not eating because it, it says, you know, zero calories, but it still has that very sweet taste. I try to stay away from juices. I am not, uh, my brother and I go back and forth on this all the time because he just rolls his eyes at me, but I am not a fan of smoothies. You can tell me you make them however, any kind of way, but I just, if you're, especially if you're buying them at a juice bar or something like that, um, have you ever just blended pure kale? It doesn't taste good. So the fact that it tastes good, they have put something else in it. <laughs> I mean, th- this is this is the thing. Or what I tell people is like, think about an apple. So I don't know if you're having like a green apple smoothie or something like that. In a day, it is probably very difficult for any one person to eat five or six apples in a day. You might eat one apple. Yeah. But it, it's going to be difficult just for you to sit there and say, I'm, I'm going to eat five apples. You could easily have five apples in a smoothie. So again, I think there's a misconception that just because the sugar is natural, that it's fine. I think when we're eating fruit in its whole form, there's only so much of it that you're going to be able to eat. So you're still naturally limiting how much sugar you're taking in in a day. If you're eating it, you have to process all the refuge with it. You you know, you're going to get full. But once you blend something, you can easily have two smoothies. Well, how how much went into that? To get that too to large. Get that, mm-hmm. Exactly. So I just think it's, again, I'm not saying have I not ever had a sweetened beverage? Have I never like had a pop since I've started intermittent fasting? No, that's not true. But I can tell you prior to intermittent fasting and changing my nutrition, it would have been nothing for me to have three or four diet drinks in a day you know, thinking I was doing well because I was only having, you know, a diet drink and, and all of that stuff messes with your insulin. So on a day-to-day basis, I try to stick with water, plain tea, or coffee as the beverages I drink. Um, I do brew my own kombucha at home, so I may have like a little bit of that here or there. Um, but you know, I, I try to stick with um, real natural food stuff, not made out of a factory or a plant. Because I think you, you kind of answered my next question as far as, you know, you know, different types of lifestyle adaptions you can also apply while on the intermittent fasting. Um, because I, I would assume, especially with the, the clientele you work with, like when you when they initially start, it's, you know, it's the time factor is, you know, their the hurdle that they go over. Uh, but you possibly, I'm pretty sure you probably do just as much ed- education, like when it's time to go, like when it actually is time for them to eat. Like, okay, now that it's time for you to eat, I need you to kind of look at the type of food you're eating as well, too, because that can. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if, if if saying it would offset their fasting is correct. I, you, you probably, I, I guess that's probably a good question, right? Does it like can you have a a bad faster who, you know, may go 12 hours, 14 hours, but because of what they do with the rest of the time, it kind of offsets uh, so, some of the benefits. So I think initially you'll probably see some improvement, even if you don't change your diet right away, because you're going to eat less of those sugary processed carbohydrate foods, usually if you're um, increasing the time between meals. So you may start to see an initial benefit, but I think where a lot of people hit plateaus from are because they aren't realizing, okay, now I need to like focus on my nutrition. The other thing is because I see a lot of people who are hoping to become pregnant, 
we don't recommend intermittent fasting during pregnancy. So my thing is you got to get your nutrition down because when you're pregnant, your nutrition is all that you have to control how much weight you're going to gain during pregnancy. You know, contrary to popular belief, we're all not supposed to gain 60 to 80 pounds when we're pregnant. Like that's, you're having a seven pound, eight pound baby. Where did 70 pounds go? No, you know, but we, but I mean, I was like that too. I gained like 60 pounds with my son who was only seven pounds, two ounces. Like, okay, clearly he didn't um, use all of that 60 pounds that I gained. So the thing is, I think, we need to also focus on nutrition because that it there's so many other benefits to having a nutritious diet rather than thinking of intermittent fasting as a mechanism that you can eat, you know, whatever you want. Um, and I don't even, I honestly, I don't even have people do extremely strict um, carbohydrate moderation. I think people automatically assume because I'm saying lowering your carbs, I'm saying you can never have another carb again. And I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. Um, I have people who do do fantastic on 20 grams or less of carbs a day. Um, and they bite, love it and they feel great. I have other people who come to me and the first time I see them, they're eating 400 plus grams of carbs a day. I am not going to get someone in a week to go from and sustain, because again, this is about sustainability. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get them to go from 400 to 20 grams all in a week's period. So what I find is that even just gradually reducing it, um, and people, a lot of people are shocked. They're like, oh, you have people who really eat, you know, 100 to 150 grams of carbs a day, and you add intermittent fasting and they lose weight? I'm like, yes. And they're like, but you have to do, I'm like, we took away a lot of the processed stuff they were eating. And now we added periods of gut rest. I'm like, you would be surprised. The next thing I'll hear people say is, well, they possibly can't be in ketosis if they eat a hundred grams of carbs a day. Well, if you're 400 pounds and you add intermittent fasting and you're eating a hundred grams of carbs a day, I can pretty much guarantee you are in ketosis. Right, because it's the state relative to each, but everyone's comp body composition, you know. So I, I think we get into a lot of things, and that intimidates people. Where it's all of these rules, and I just go back to if we kind of simplify it, I tell them they can still have carbs, but I want their carbs primarily to come from vegetables that are in low glycemic index. Then I want their dessert now to be fruit. So think of fruit as dessert. To me, dessert is not something you have, have to have every day. That's just me. So if fruit is now becoming your dessert, you can still have it, but you're not doing that every day. And then you're adding a period of gut rest, which is forcing you to mobilize your own fat stores. And I think just doing those different things, people actually see a lot of difference and they're surprised at how much uh, change they can note without feeling like restricted. Restricted, right. Kind of drained out. I love it. Mm -hmm. What What are, and especially with some of the clientele that you've worked with, right? When, because I, I think we've, when you Google, you hear some of the, the common questions and, you know, even, even better misconceptions. Um, and we've kind of talked about a lot of them, but are there any others that you hear like, 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 why do y'all think that? Like just questions that kind of even sometimes bother your mind. Like, huh? Like, no, no, that's, yeah, no. So we already talked about the starving misconception. The thing that I find most interesting is the conception or question I get all the time, can women fast? Women shouldn't fast. So hmm, men, yeah, I don't get that. But yeah, men fast and but then women can't fast. And I said, well, that's very nice that in cavemen days, the men would give all their food to, to, the, to the wife. I'd I, Probably not. I'm sure they were both not eating together, but women can fast. I think the issue is, is that 
we're equating fasting to an actual state like anorexia, where we see when people have true anorexia, you can have irregular cycles. You know, it's kind of the same question I've heard people say, well, can women do keto? Because don't women need carbs in order for their cycles to oh okay all right all right yeah so people will ask that too and it's it's no because we're again people are thinking that you're you're taking something you're mistaking fasting with a medical condition and and they're and they're different so there may be you know you'll see people who do intermittent fasting along with a more real foods whole foods diet approach who talk about this is the first time in my life that I've had normal cycles, you know, because they're self-healing, they're self-correcting some of those issues. I think as with anything, and I don't think, you know, fasting's not any different. If you take fasting too far to where you are now nutrient deprived, but again, most people, if you're still eating two meals a day, especially in the U.S., you're not going to be lacking calories. That's why I think we have to, you know, we're not in the desert. You still don't have food. So you really don't, in my opinion, have to worry that you're not getting nutrients if you're really just cutting down from three meals a day to two meals a day Mm. that are now hopefully better nutrition quality than what you were eating before. Your nutrients should be fine. But yeah, if you take fasting too long and you're doing regularly 20-day fast or, you know, something of that nature, yeah, you probably will see a change in your menstrual cycles after doing that chronically. But with 16 hours of fasting a day, 18 hours, even one meal a day, if you're eating nutritiously during those periods, it, it really shouldn't be an issue for most women. So yes, women can do intermittent fasting. Women can do low carb. You can do both. Eating before you work out. So there's this concept that you have to have that like pre-nutrition mm. meal or right, that, that burst before you yeah, can. Yeah, before you go lift weights or, you know, run or if you work out in a fasted state, you will be surprised at how much better you feel and how you're and, and the results that you notice actually. Bodybuilders kind of tapped into this a while ago. Like think Terry Crews. He lifts fast. And when you are in the fasted state actually working out, you have higher levels of growth hormone, which not to a point where it's going to like be detrimental, but it actually preserves that muscle and makes it more receptive to like during that recovery time period where then you may go and have your meal. So you don't have to eat before you work out. Remember, there's something called like fight or flight or, you know, adrenal access. So if your body is sitting there trying to process food while you're trying to divert, lift some weight or work, run or mm. you're having, you're having competing processes going on. So you can work out fasted. And a lot of people, I prefer to work out fasted and I, I just feel better when I do it. Other people will say fasting will slow your metabolism. It, it doesn't slow your metabolism either. Just think about it again. Fasting, we're now using it for therapeutic purposes or for weight loss. But fasting was just a period of people's lives because, again, they stopped eating after dark. And then when they got up in the morning, they were either tending to work outside or doing something like they didn't eat as soon as they got up. So just by virtue, they were fasting. If go 12 hours without a meal and all of a sudden your body starts to shut down and go into some hibernation state, the human race would not be here. I mean, <laughs> that body just isn't that fragile. We'd all be dead. You know, I'm just saying. So all of these things. Ooh, that I love think, it. I love it. You know, all of these things that we think need to happen for survival. We've, we've been surviving for years without doing all of these things that now we all of a sudden like feel, feel like we have to do. Right. Yeah, right. like the every two to three hours. So I think those are the biggest misconceptions that I see. And I think people really just have to realize you will not die if you don't eat for 12 hours. You really won't. Look, that, that's, that really should be the quote right there. Like, you ain't yeah. gonna die. Like, You're not. I promise it's only 12. Now, and I know you talked about pregnant women avoiding intermittent fasting. Is there anybody else who should maybe stay away from this type of lifestyle? Yeah. 
So I would say during pregnancy, we already touched on it's not the time. Also with breastfeeding, that's not the time to try to do 16-hour fast or anything like that. Eating disorders. So if you have a history of eating disorders, you really want to work with your physician prior to doing that to make sure your issues surrounding that have resolved. Because again, especially if you may have had like anorexia or something like that in the past, we don't necessarily have a data either way to say that it's going to make that condition worse or it's going to make it better. But I think you need to make sure you're being monitored by someone so that if they see that you're starting to develop those habits again, they can help get you into therapy or whatnot. So I, I personally wouldn't recommend it for um, people with a history of eating disorders. We talked about the case reports with diabetes and how it's used as a treatment. So it's not that you can't fast if you have diabetes, but again, you need to be monitored by a physician if you're doing that because you probably need medications adjusted. You don't want to go hypoglycemic. So the interesting thing is, and this concept I find interesting because when you do have studies of people who do prolonged fasting and maybe like an extended fast of like 48 hours or, you know, whatever, if you look at their glucose levels, they actually are pretty low where if you were getting a lab result back, it probably would ding it as a critical lab value that their blood sugar is hypoglycemic. But you don't have symptoms of hypoglycemia because your insulin levels are low. Also low too. So uh, okay. Right. right. So if okay. the insulin is low and your blood sugar is low and you're producing ketones, your body runs off of the ketones. This is also why a lot of people who are strict keto will notice that they have natural low blood sugar levels because your body is using the ketones. So the same thing with fasting. So you're not going to be hypoglycemic or have symptoms in someone who is adapted like that. The problem is with intermittent fasting and a diabetic who has not adapted to having low insulin levels is now all of a sudden you think, okay, well, I'm going to fast but I'm still taking my same doses of insulin. Now you have low blood sugar, high insulin. That's a um, different problem. state. Your problem, problem. You're out. You're uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to see you in the hospital. I will yes. see you. You, you are now, <laughs> yes. Now you have symptoms of hypoglycemia. So you really do need to work with your doctor. It's the same way though. Like when you start reducing your carbohydrates, I tell my patients, um, especially during pregnancy, if they're on insulin, I'm like, hey, if you have a change in your diet, I need to know that because I need to change your insulin. Your insulin prescription is based on your diet. So this is why we really shouldn't be surprised that changing your diet can rid your need of insulin because I am prescribing you insulin based on what you're yeah, telling what you, me. What you, yeah, what you're eating. And a lot, a lot of times, I think, especially my diabetic patients, they know, because I sometimes have to get on them, that a lot of times I'm not even necessarily prescribing it for the weight base, which, which it should be. Right. But I'm prescribing it because what you eat. Correct. Right? And I got to combat your mouth. And that's why you're on the dose that you're on. Correct. And so it's one of those things. It's like, well, if you are going to start, I would say the same thing with low carb. If you are on hundreds of units of insulin and now all of a sudden you're like, OK, I'm going to go low carb. I'm not saying you shouldn't go lower carb. You need to call your doctor because that same insulin dose now is going to be probably not appropriate because now you've made a lifestyle change. So that's what you have to be careful of. And then especially type one diabetics, because type one, we've already discussed, you need insulin as a type one diabetic. You don't make it. So you really have to be cautious with that. You need to work with a healthcare provider on that. And then I would say anyone who's taking just general medications, some, you know, sometimes we don't think about blood pressure medications, but there's several different classes of blood pressure medications. And some of them, not all of them, but work with making you urinate more, go to the bathroom more because you get rid of excess fluid. Well, when your insulin levels lower, that acts as a natural diuretic as well. You will notice lots of people who do intermittent fasting initially, because eventually it equals out, but who lose a lot of water weight, they're diuresing extra water. So again, your healthcare provider needs to be involved in this because they may need to adjust doses of medication. They may need to do different things. So it's not that you can't fast per se. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to talk to my doctor about it because they'll tell me not to do it. But I mean, 
go talk to them because the thing is they may tell you not to do it but if you tell them that you are doing it then they will adjust med- i mean they're, yeah, they're, they're just they're, medication. right they're gonna adjust accordingly because they're I mean, like all right if you're gonna do it right they'll document all in the chart and you know whatever but at the end of the day you need someone to manage your medications the other thing i would say is that this goes back in the misconception time but people get so worried about oh my gosh i'm taking my medication is that breaking my fast if you are prescribed ah, that's good oh, that's a good one that's a good one i like that if you're prescribed a medication, assuming that it doesn't say don't take on an empty stomach, because you do have some medications which should not be taken on an empty stomach, like ibuprofen, you should not take NSAIDs on an empty stomach regularly, you're going to have a GI bleed. You know, so there, there's some things that shouldn't be taken, but I, I wouldn't worry about unless you're drinking your medication with a smoothie about your medication breaking <laughs> fast. Like, good, good, good old green apple smoothie. Yeah, because eventually I'm never going to have a smoothie company endorsement. Uh, shot that. Losing my, my endorsement potential. One, one by one, one by one. Uh, but they're a water company. That's what I need to find. I think a water company. But that that's something too. Again, I, you really, before you are playing around with your medications and not taking something or doing this or the other, you should tap you you really need to talk to your healthcare provider because that in itself can be dangerous not because of the fasting it's because you're self-adjusting medication and so i that that's something you need to and obviously it's not medical advice for you to go start doing anything you you should talk with your healthcare provider but these are just some cautions that you should keep in mind keep, keep it in the wind you know, again always talk to your, your doctor before especially i think in this day and age well, there's so much information out there that could, you know, could have some good effects or also some bad effects. Always want to make sure you're talking to a professional to make sure you get your get yourself in order before we cause any problems. Before we go, right? Like I do love the aspect of highlighting my guests and all of the amazing things that they do. First of all, congratulations. I know you recently, depending on depending on when you listen to this on the community, you recently just got certified OBC medicine specialist. So definitely congratulations on that aspect as well. I like to call this like the promo period, right? Where, you know, if any books, any courses any you know any you know clientele story anything that you want to like say hey like this is what i'm doing right now please feel free like I, I think when people hear this right and they they get enamored by the guests sometimes they want to follow up and see see what else uh, the guests the guests can all, kind of offer them yeah so i think the easiest way to find me is my handle's the same my website's the same just across all platforms so if you go to my website it's www.thefastingdoctor.com I'm also the fasting doctor on Instagram and the fasting doctor on Facebook. And I have a Facebook group and a newsletter. So you could sign up for either or I'm going to this fall actually start launching two different programs. One's going to be like small group coaching for people who feel like they want a more personalized kind of approach, but also just a large group forum where we'll have fasting schedules available and then host weekly Q&As. So if you sign up for my newsletter or follow me on Instagram or on Facebook of any of those sites, once that's available, all the information will be there. One more question before I get you out of here. How, I always ask my guests this, how is what you're doing helping others to take better control of their health so i think how it helps it just realizes or helps people recognize that the weight loss and being healthy does it's it's really not some magic kind of thing where you you need something super complicated to do i think if you just focus on periods of gut rest and trying to eat whole foods things that are not in a package I think those are the easiest places to start. And then in terms of adding physical activity, it could be as, as something like walking, you know, 30 minutes a day. You don't have to join a gym. You can't, I mean, not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying though, that people will have all these reasons like, well, they can, are able to lift weights, you know, five times a week. They have access to a trainer and they have access to this. And it's like, you don't need access really to any of that. You need access to quality food and you need to give your gut a rest. And while quality food can be expensive, if you save the money from that one meal that you skipped, you probably then have more money available to buy more nutritious foods. 
So I think that's the take home that is kind of my message. I just want to realize and empower people to know that health isn't just for a certain group of people, you know, who have access to wealth or whatever. Health really can be for anyone. And probably some of the most healthiest people in the world are the people who actually have access to police. Very good point. Oh, love it. I want to say thank you for joining podcasts and really helping to enlighten on a subject that is gaining, I guess, traction per se in just the, the everyday talk when people are making the, the transformation, the transition to want to be more nutritious and they want to think of different ways to do it. This is definitely one of them. Again, thank you for taking the time out and you know, much appreciated. Like I said, we will definitely be looking out for the programs, for the groups. And again, member listening community, all every you know book, everything, every link she noted, We'll make sure and send a show notes so you don't have to write anything down. We'll make sure we get that to you. Thank you. Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of The Lunch Learner, Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today. If you have not had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe to the show if this is your first time listening. If you already listen and you've already subscribed, make sure to leave me a five-star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is. And if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes, always head over to lunchlearnpod.com. That is lunch learn pod all in one word.com and you can get the access to my show notes for every single episode but especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed bye